0: Hello, this is Alex Granado, senior reporter for Education NC, and you're listening to Ed Talk. Today we're talking with James Michalowski. He's a policy analyst at the Hunt Institute, and we're going to be talking about the Hunt Institute's Attainment for All series and about reverse transfers in particular. James, thank you for being here.
1: Thanks for having me, Alex. I appreciate it.
0: Uh, and so uh, before we get into the topic of reverse transfers, I just want to kind of focus in on the Attainment for All series. I was wondering if you could tell our listeners uh, what that is and how it came about.
1: Sure. So um, I'll start by kind of briefly mentioning that here at the Hunt Institute, we work with state policymakers, both here in North Carolina and across the country, and we work on issues that span um, the entire education policy continuum. So that is early childhood and K-12 and higher education um, and also workforce development. Um, And when it comes to our higher education work in particular, um, a lot of what we do falls under the umbrella of Helping states make progress towards their post secondary attainment goals. Um, so, here in North Carolina, My Future NC has established a goal uh, last year um, that 2 million uh, North Carolinians uh, will have a high quality credential or degree by 2030. And uh, at this point, almost every state in the country has a similar goal in place. So, as we work with folks around the country, um, a lot of the uh, excitement and a lot of the activity uh, regarding the higher education work is about making progress towards those goals. Um, and there's a lot of exciting and innovative stuff that's happening in the states that we want to highlight. And so that basically was the genesis of this attainment for all series: is that we wanted to pick out a number of different strategies and policy initiatives that were sort of being thought through and worked on by different leaders across the country, and highlight and lift up um, interesting work that was happening. Um, with the goal of being useful and kind of informing um, all these policymakers who are making all these efforts to to raise attainment,
0: and so your most recent one is on reverse transfers. And um, after reading about it, I realized I knew what it was talking about, but just hearing the term reverse transfer, I didn't immediately know off the top of my head what that sure. meant.
1: So, could you explain that for people? Yeah, um, it's kind of an intuitive concept when you really think about it. Um, I think. In a nutshell, the best way to describe reverse transfer is that it's a way to give students credit for all of the higher education coursework that they've taken um, during their time in higher education. Oftentimes, a student will take courses across different institutions, or perhaps they'll start taking courses, and then they'll pause and take a break for whatever reason, and then sort of re-engage with higher education. Um, And reverse transfer is a way of looking at their entire history and accumulating You know, adding up all of the different courses they've taken and seeing what that might make them eligible for. So a lot of times students will have taken courses across different institutions, and they may have earned enough credits to to get a certificate or a degree, but they might not know it because often there's not a mechanism for adding up all of the different things they've done in higher education. Um, And the other very likely scenario is that often students are really close to the finish line. They'll, They'll be one or two courses away from qualifying for a degree um, and reverse transfer is a way of saying, you know, hey, we, we've looked at your transcripts and based on everything you've done throughout your higher education journey, you're actually really close to getting a degree or perhaps you've already earned a degree. And so it's really about giving students credit for all the work that they've they
0: put in. And so what, what, when we talk about this, what kind of students are we talking about? Are they students at the community college level, the four-year university level, all of them? Is
1: it stacked yeah. to one more than the other? I think all of them I think um, there's a wide variety of students that could be helped by reverse transfer um, it's most often thought of um, for students who will start at a community college and then transfer um, to a four year institution um, so maybe it's helpful if I talk about one of um, kind of one of the leading institutions that does reverse transfer really well It's this school in Michigan called Oakland Community College mm-hmm. um, and so what they do is at Oakland they track their outgoing transfer students, and so a lot of their students will transfer to a four-year school in Michigan, say they go to Michigan State, um, and Oakland will keep track of those students and keep track of the courses that they take, and then maybe after one or two semesters, the student at Michigan State might have earned enough credit to get an associate's degree from Oakland, but they may not know it, you know, they may not think to sort of look backwards at, at what they've already done and what they've already accumulated so far. So Oakland will um, reach out to those students and say, hey, congratulations, we know you're at Michigan State, and we know you're only part of the way through your journey at Michigan State, but you've actually earned enough credit to get an associate's degree from us, and so would you be interested in that? Um, But I think it's also important to mention that oftentimes, especially given the changing demographics of today's higher education students, um, I think reverse transfer is especially helpful for students who have an educational journey that has been fragmented in some way, whether they, um, whether they are an adult learner who has a child and they had a sudden childcare need and so they had to stop out for a period of time and then re-engage with the higher education world, um, or whether they've transferred between multiple institutions. Um, I think it's especially helpful for kind of today's higher education student which um, might look a little different from what people think of as the traditional definition.
0: And so just thinking about some of these scenarios off the top of my head, um, you know, the one you just described makes a lot of sense. Let's say somebody's education gets interrupted, they were on a definitive track towards Mm -hmm. something, it gets interrupted, they can come back and, and finish or maybe they gotten uh, enough credits to get a degree, uh, certificate and didn't know it, mm-hmm. but what about a student who uh, maybe wasn't on a definitive track, who happens to have acquired enough credits for a certificate, but maybe it's a sh- certificate that they won't actually be using uh, in a career. What's the value of a certificate um, if it isn't
1: helpful towards a career track? That's a good question. I think um, I think there are different benefits that can come from reverse transfer. I think for very industry-specific certificate programs, I think it's probably unlikely that someone would happen to take all of the course requirements for, um, you know, a very specific career certificate. But I think there are examples where... I think one example of what you're talking about is when a student has decided that they want to pursue a bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so the there's a group, the Community College Research Center, they've done research that shows... Uh, the vast majority of community college students have the eventual goal of getting a bachelor's degree. Um, And so a lot of times they'll transfer to a four-year and they'll begin pursuit of a bachelor's degree. And then along the way to that goal, they accumulate enough credits to get an associate's degree. Mm -hmm. And I think um, one thing that people have to think through and have been thinking through in reverse transfer is um, how do you communicate that to students? Because it might not be immediately apparent what the value could be. But I think there are a couple things. One is that um, if students earn an associate's degree, they're much more likely to be successful and to go on and actually get that bachelor's degree. Um, So I think earning a certificate or a degree through first transfer um, can help a student further their educational journey and make it more likely that they're going to be successful. Mm But another value is that, I mean, you look at information like census data, and you see that really at at every level of educational attainment, there's some sort of earnings boost associated with it. So if you have a certificate or a degree, you have a competitive advantage in the workplace, and you should receive some sort of immediate benefit in terms of being able to sort of better your standing in the workforce, even if you plan on moving on and and pursuing another career path or something like that. Mm -hmm.
0: And so, in North Carolina, how well positioned are we to make the most of reverse transfers? Is it something we're doing already? Something we need to gear up? Are the
1: resources there to do it? Yeah, I think I think North Carolina is in a really good place um, when it comes to something like reverse transfer. Um, there are a lot of strengths that the state has. You know, at a basic level, the the institutions in North Carolina um, are very very high quality a great set of institutions and there are a number of kind of foundational policies in place that make something like reverse transfer easier you know the comprehensive articulation agreement covers credit transfer between UNC schools and community colleges and also the independent schools Um, there are a number of other policies uh, such as common course numbering systems for community colleges um, and programs of study often have sort of standardized um, requirements Um, So, there's a lot in place in terms of a foundation to build on, Um, and it's also important to note that North Carolina does have a reverse transfer program between the UNC system and the community colleges, Um, and so public institutions have reverse transfer policies on the books. Um, So it is something that's happening in the state, and there's a strong foundation. I think when we talk about reverse transfer in North Carolina, we talk about ways to um, build on that foundation ways to perhaps strengthen the program and make sure that it's available to as many students as it can be, um, and make sure that it's as effective and, and wide-reaching as it can be.
0: And so we're talking about all of this because we're talking about the need for more uh, people in the workforce that have post-secondary credentials, and we talked about the My Future NC attainment goals, and kind of inherent in all this is the notion that it is good to have more post-secondary credentials. But I want to talk for just a second about why that is so important. Why do we have this attainment goal? Why uh, are you writing this whole paper about reverse transfers? Why
1: is it we want more people to have these? I think uh, I'm gonna talk about some numbers and statistics, but I think ultimately it's about um, making sure that citizens have good lives and are able to get good jobs and support their families and have a high quality of life. Um, We want an educated citizenry and we want a thriving workforce. And that's kind of really the North Star goal to keep in mind with all of this. But, um, you know, there are a number of studies that show how important educational attainment is. Um, a lot of work has been done by the Georgetown Center on Education and the Workforce. Um, they've shown how, really, it's a, a sort of a, an economic reality that if you want a good paying job and you want the possibility of entering the middle class, um, for many professions, you're going to need some sort of higher education credential or degree. Um, previously, a high school education was considered enough to make a living and support yourself and your family. Um, I think increasingly that's, that's no longer the case in our economy. And um, so in many ways, it's an economic reality. Um, and there are a number of studies that show the value of a higher education degree. Um, another study we looked at when we were writing the paper was... Um, done by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, and they did sort of a return on investment study, um, because as you know, a college degree these days costs more money, um, and it is quite an investment for people, but when they look at sort of the economic benefits that you receive from getting a, a college degree, um, they said that it is unequivocally worth the investment. Um, and so I think I think there are a number of studies showing why it's so important in terms of economic and social mobility, um, and I think ultimately it's about improving people's lives and um you know
0: kind of part of this notion of reverse transfer is built into it is this idea that there are a lot of students who are getting some post-secondary education but for whatever reason aren't finishing or having to stop it's being interrupted what have you what is it, it is there some sort of um institutional uh things that are causing this um are there are there uh Barriers that we have in place that we could remove to make it easier for students to stay in, or is it just kind of a product of the uh, the way that life sometimes surprises
1: you and things just don't go as planned? I think it's uh, I think it's a little of both. Um, I think there are some structural barriers, and I think a lot of them relate to um, what I alluded to earlier, which is sort of the changing demographics of today's higher education students. Um, you know, higher education students these days are more and more likely to be over the age of 25. They're more likely to be in the workforce, whether they work full-time or part-time. They're more likely to have children or dependents. Um, and so that, that variety of need that's growing um, calls for a variety of different options when it comes to our higher education system. Um, and, you know, if you are... In the workforce, uh, you might need a course schedule that allows you to take the courses you need on nights and weekends, or maybe online. Uh, If you're a parent, you might need some sort of childcare option, either on campus or very close to campus, to allow you to further your studies. And so I think as our notion of who higher education students are shifts, um, we need to also be shifting the ways that institutions are accommodating this new variety of needs. And so I think sometimes there are structural barriers if institutions are used to being geared toward the 18 year olds coming out of high school. And so you know, let's say all the course offerings are Monday through Friday during business hours and there's no childcare option and there aren't um, public transportation options. I think those can kind of be structural systemic barriers that could cause a student to stop out But then also, as you correctly pointed out, a lot of times it's simply that, you know, life gets in the way and there can be, uh, basic human developments, like you get sick and you have a medical bill and all of a sudden you have to choose between paying for surgery or paying for, you know, your next semester of coursework. Um, maybe you start a family and have a kid and all of a sudden you have childcare needs that you didn't have before. Um, maybe your car breaks down and all of a sudden you don't have a way to get to campus. Um, I think there are very sort of, uh, basic life developments that can happen that can derail a student's progress in higher education.
0: And so you all have written this paper. Um, what do you hope to accomplish with it? Who, who do you hope reads it? How, how are you getting the word out?
1: Uh, what do you hope to see next? Yeah, well, um, our, our main hope is that it's going to be a useful resource for state policymakers. Uh, I mentioned that at the Hunt Institute. We do have a great network of state policymakers here in North Carolina and across the country. Um, and as we were sort of thinking about which pieces of our research to, to put in the issue briefs, we really did that with an eye toward what would be key takeaways for a state leader that they could eventually act on. Um, and so we made sure to put in things such as potential policy barriers that might prevent successful implementation of these policies. Um, We made sure to include uh, key examples of leading states that are doing this really well so that people can look at best practices and think about how to replicate or scale them in their state. Um, But we're really hoping that this is a series that will inform the work of policymakers and help them think about whether these strategies could could be helpful towards their state's goals. James, thank you so much
0: for talking with me. Thank you, Alex. Appreciate it. We've been talking with James Michalowski. He's a policy analyst at the Hunt Institute. And I'm Alex Granados, senior reporter for Education NC, and you've been listening to Ed Talk. Thanks for listening.